You are listening to the oneofus.net podcast network. One of Us is a podcast and video network funded all but entirely by donations and subscriptions. We do accept pitches for audio-based or banner ads, but on a case-by-case basis. If you are interested in that, contact us at oneofusnet at gmail.com. With the amount of audio and video content we generate, it is expensive and extremely time-consuming to keep things running. Please go to the webpage oneofus.net and sign up for a subscription at 2 5 10 or $25 and get a ton of bonus content. One of us needs and appreciates all your support. Paramount Plus, what have I ever done for you to treat me with such disrespect? You don't offer friendship. You don't offer loyalty. You don't even think to give me an advanced screener. <laughs> Instead, you come to me on my day of rest, and you ask me to binge watch a ten-episode miniseries about the making of the girl. <coughs> <coughs> Excuse me, guys. <clears throat> oh, man. I was just waiting for my meds to kick in. Fast-acting allergy relief my ass. Uh <coughs> Hey everybody, my name is Marco, and even though my voice may be going, I am fortunately joined by two reviewers who are never at a loss for words, Sarah Jane. Hey there. And Melina. How you doing? (laughs) Hey, forget about it. We are talking about The Offer, a brand new 10-part epic miniseries on Paramount Plus about the making of the 1972 American gangster classic, The Godfather, This is a soup-to-nuts, nose-to-tail, starting from the draft to the very final night at the Academy Awards. This is the entire making of The Godfather. It was a legendarily uh, troubled production. Uh, This is the stuff of Hollywood myth. What kind of sets this apart is that this is told through the perspective based on the memories of producer Albert S. Ruddy. I hope you like Miles Teller because he's going to be in a lot of this movie. Uh, This is his movie. Uh, Most of these stories we've heard are from Francis Ford Coppola or Robert Evans even. But by focusing it through Ruddy's perspective, it gives it a fresh new angle. But like I said, this tries to be exhaustive uh, from beginning to end. And it is 10 episodes, most of which go over an hour. My question to you guys is whether or not it worked. Sarah Jane, did you find this as appealing as a freshly baked cannoli, or does this smell as fishy as Luca Brasi's final resting place? (laughs) Nice. I think maybe it's somewhere in between. It certainly was uh, exhaustive with the story, you know, in 10 episodes. I did like most of it, although toward the end, and especially the last episode, felt really anticlimactic to me. I mean, because we knew what was going to happen, but I, I don't know. I just didn't like that one. But that's jumping ahead. Spoiler warning. They make the Godfather. <laughs> People liked it, too. I did not know that. I don't know about you guys. <laughs> I always thought it was one of those underground uh, cult films that only became popular decades later. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> yeah, we, we all look at it with fresh eyes. I know that um, there was some guff about how truthful this was based on Al Ruddy's, you know, memories of this. Because at one point in episode two, um, her name is Allison Martino, 
who's the daughter of, uh, is it Al? Al Martino, Martino? the singer. Who ended up, be- yeah, yes. And she was really upset because of the storyline where they went to Vegas and asked Johnny Fontaine to be in it. And so she's like, that's disrespectful to my father because that didn't even happen. Curiously, Peter Bart who was the vice president of Paramount, who worked under Robert Evans, still very much alive, and uh, is also a character in this movie, and gets a very nice shout-out for his contribution at the very end of uh, the season. But he himself has said, like, look, man, I was there, and a whole lot of this (laughs) doesn't match what I remember, Uh, which is interesting, because if you go online, you can find, like, a decade-old interview with him and Ruddy where they're talking about these stories and if you're as big a fan of this film as i think the three of us are you've heard a lot of these stories like i said they're legendary the studio didn't want coppola they didn't want brando they didn't want pacino they wanted it to be a modern day film instead of a period piece they wanted there was all these things that they had to fight for just to get the movie we know today it's such a gripping story it hardly needs sensationalization uh nevertheless it seems like by focusing it purely through Ruddy's perspective, it kind of skews the material somewhat. And I'm not sure if it's always uh, for the best. Melina, did this meet your expectations based on what you know about the making of The Godfather? Well, if I may paraphrase the line, uh, one thing that I believe the offer refused and definitely shouldn't have was a really good editor. (laughs) Um, Because... I think we said up front that there is a lot of, uh, there's a really a lot of interesting stuff here. I think that uh, when it comes to them actually telling the behind the scenes story of what a challenge it was to get the Godfather made from start to well beyond its, you know, well beyond its finish, uh, that's fascinating, you know, and I don't mind that they take creative license here and there, that's that's part of the course. It's not a biopics job to be a documentary. And I would say that with one or two exceptions, uh, I think that I was okay with the creative license that they took. It was still really entertaining. Uh, Dan Fogler is amazing, I think, at playing Francis Ford Coppola. He's definitely uh, like probably one of the more sympathetic characters that we get to see. I would say it's what they do outside of the behind-the-scenes story that didn't work for me. I get that The Godfather is a mobster film, but I don't understand whose idea it was to make the mob and their relationship to this film the secondary story. Yeah, for those listening who may not be familiar with the story, The Godfather, of course, was a very popular book. It was about the mafia. There were, by some accounts, uh, people in the Italian-American community who felt offended by this book, who felt that it was perpetrating stereotypes, that, you know, everyone who's an Italian-American is actually a vicious killer in the mob. And there actually came to be such a thing as the Italian-American Anti-Defamation League, I believe that's the term, uh, headed up by a band named Joe Colombo, who approached uh, the studio and said, hey, unless you guys make some changes to this movie, you're going to get into some trouble because, you know, we're going to protest you. Now, to make this really rich, Joe Colombo was a fucking mafia guy. Yeah. Uh, you know, so, and as legend goes, he got the production to agree to cut all references to the mafia from the screenplay. And the studios, well, I should say Coppola, and Ruddy were like, 
Yeah, sure, no problem. Because in reality, it only got mentioned like once. Yeah. So it was nothing for them to just cut this one line that says mafia. But as Melina pointed out, the story wants to suggest that the mob actually became part of the production and that Ruddy, through his close personal association with Joe Colombo, actually became like friends and like people in the mob were actually on set and contributing to the story and getting involved, which is another thing Peter Bart is disputed, saying like, look, I was there and I signed those checks. Uh, there was no one from the mafia on the payroll. And, and I think I could have been all right with that if I thought that the mob storyline itself was well-written or the characters were compelling or interesting. But I think as it goes, it is the most ham-handed part of this entire show. I think that the mobsters themselves are written as just absolute cardboard cutout stereotypes. Like the whole thing about, you know, the turf war and them and watching the drama that's taking place with them that has nothing to do with the film production. I just, I, every time they would go to that, I'm like, can we just get back to the story of the actual Godfather? I'm not here to watch a Godfather-like story. Can I just mention that I did like Giovanni Ribisi as Joe Colombo. He's always great. I mean, his voice was insane. Every time he spoke, uh, I laughed just because it was, you know, I can't even do a, an example of it. It was insane. But I did like his performance. It almost did feel like a, a you know, like a Saturday Night Live version right. of a Mafia Don. It, it was just always this side of over the top, and yeah, he his performance is is a lot of fun. And every time the mob shows up, they're constantly saying and doing things that anticipate what's going to be in The Godfather. Which is kind of frustrating to me because at some point, you know, I, one of the first things we hear Rabisi say in character is like, hey, take the cannoli. It's like, That's oh, the I first get it. line. Take the cannoli. <laughs> Somebody kisses the ring. Mm -hmm. But the thing is, Francis Ford Coppola and Mario Puzo, the writers, are kind of treated as like some... Uh, like some spoiled wunderkinds who are kind of like left alone at home and just can't get the job fucking done. Yet... When Ruddy goes to meet the mob and he absorbs all of these things that they're saying and doing, somehow that magically ends up in the screenplay. It it, it doesn't make any sense. It feels it like an Easter egg, mm -hmm. but you never see those guys go, oh, that's a good line. I'm going to put that in the movie. I won't even call them Easter eggs. That implies some kind of hunt that you have to go looking for them. This is more like the filmmakers are egging your house. <laughs> you don't have to look for them. They're just throwing the eggs at you. Yeah, and you, and you talked about that, and I think that's a great point. I think it still would have been extremely ham-fisted had there had been moments where prior to the script being done, these guys were exposed to the mafia saying these words and it would have been like a little wink and a nod to, hey, here's how we got that line and here's how that ended up in the movie. But it's not. We Like Coppola and Puzo never actually interact with the mafia. The script at points are like, this movie is like the script is written. They just are having these mobsters say this because they know it's something that the audience recognizes. And it's just kind of irritating. I'm like, guys, give me a helmet if you're going to beat me this hard over the frickin' head. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, not to shit all over this thing, because truth be told, there are some good things about it. Yeah. Sarah Jane has already pointed out Giovanni Ribisi. 
I've talked about Miles Teller. Melita mentions Dan Fogler as Coppola. This is a stacked cast. We haven't even gotten to Juno Temple playing Betty McCart, the assistant to Ruddy, sort of his gal Friday, mm -hmm. who's kind of getting everything done on his behalf. And she's a great partner in crime. But the problem is, at least, again, if you believe what other people have said, they're like, well, yeah, she was important, but she wasn't on set. She wasn't going around. She she was basically in Hollywood in the production office, and Ruddy wasn't on set for the movie. He was actually in the production office in the New York office. And it, it it's one of those things where in order for it to work, you have to believe Al Ruddy is everywhere all the time. And, and, and here's where, you know, I have to give Miles Teller some credit because he's kind of having a moment right now. I mean, just this month alone, Maverick is the number one movie uh, in the country. Uh, he's got Spiderhead, the new John Krasinski film coming out on Netflix. And he is the star and executive producer of The Offer, which ain't bad considering he was a last minute replacement for Army Hammer, who kind of got, uh, <laughs> yeah, well, let's just say his career sleeps with the fishes. Um, well, he was having some friends for dinner, so he was a little busy. Yeah, oh yeah. Uh, but yeah, this cast is great. Uh, Colin Hanks as Barry Lapidus, who is a fictional character. Lapidus is basically a composite of every asshole executive you've ever had <laughs> to work with. He's the accountant. Jake Cannavale shows up. Uh, Lou Ferrigno, and one of the nicer touches, I thought, is uh, Lenny Montana, who famously played uh, Luca Brasi. Not only that, we get people impersonating Brando and Pacino and doing a good job, Ali McGraw, and so on. But for me, the star of this show, apart from Miles Teller, the moment it comes alive and feels like a better show than it really is, is every time Matthew Good shows up on screen as Robert Evans. Exactly. Yes. He's oh the my God. best. He is 1970s mega Hollywood producer. He's married to Ally McGraw, the hottest woman in showbiz. And he's just walking around with a martini in one hand, a cigarette in the other, and enormous, you know, hipster glasses. Every time he comes on screen, I was just transported and thought, if this is going to be a bitchy, gossipy, tell-all piece of Hollywood trash... I want it to be the show that Robert Evans is the star of. Oh, yeah. He was so great. I mean, I love Robert Evans. If you've seen The Kid Stays in the Picture. Mm -hmm. uh, or read the book, 1994. Yeah. Good is just like spot on. And he just lights up everything, every room that he walks in. He's amazing. And uh, he was absolutely my favorite part of this series. Oh, yeah. And he... He is clearly having the time of his life with this role. He buys into the famous saunter that Robert Evans was so famous for. He nails the very particular affect that Robert Evans has, that, that sort of... Uh, sort of nasally confidence that he brought to everything he ever said. And, and right. That is my uh, Robert oh, Evans impression. Movie business. <laughs> and he's so infectious. He sucks you in every time he's there. And I was like, God, it, it could have just, I don't think that this should have been his because it is a very, it's a larger than life performance. And that may have worn a little thin had it just been from his perspective. But I think he does everything that he needs to just right. Yeah, there is good work all throughout this cast. There, there isn't really a weak link. There's never somebody who makes me go, oh, that guy isn't very good. It is distracting sometimes to see actors go show up and they're like, I'm playing Marlon Brando or 
oh, that guy's doing a Jimmy Kahn impersonation. Uh, Anthony Ippolito, I think, does a, an admirable job of channeling the very young, neurotic Al Pacino on his first major film role. Oh, yeah. Another big plus to this cast is Burn Gorman, uh, whom I've always enjoyed. And here, somehow, he does the impossible of making the real-life Charlie Bluthorn seem kind of likable <laughs> and kind of irascible in a way. Uh, you, you should not be rooting for him because he's the guy going, if this movie doesn't make it, I'm going to sell Paramount. It just goes to show how often this film in real life came to being shut down or compromised beyond recognition. And I think that if the main, I guess, tug of war had been between the studio and the production with, you know, Barry Lapidus constantly telling them, look, we don't have the budget for this. You've got Coppola constantly pleading, no, I've got to make this film. This is my vision. You have Robert Evans, who is constantly trying to play the middle while balancing his own life. And then you've got Al Ruddy, who's the young, he's the young kid, really, in the whole thing, having to prove himself. That is a great enough dynamic to where if you took that secondary mob story out, you know, for the problems that I think still exist here, I think I would have enjoyed this a lot more. It would have felt so much tighter. I absolutely agree. Like I said, it is a 10-hour miniseries from beginning to end, every aspect of the production, lots of characters who come and go. Sometimes they disappear for long periods of time. Sometimes it struggles to find its focus. I mean, look, if you have 10 hours and you've never seen the Godfather trilogy, watch that. And you'll have an hour left over. <laughs> if you've seen the Godfather trilogy and are kind of curious what it might be like to see the making of as a fictionalized work of art, then, hey, maybe you can have time to uh, squeeze the offer into your busy viewing schedule. Speaking of busy viewing schedules, we're going to start rolling into our final thoughts. Sarah Jane, lead us off, please. Um, I just want to mention, while in my final thoughts, uh, Michael Tolkien was involved, uh, created this series pretty much. Yeah, I loved his Hobbit movies. <laughs> oh, wait a minute. <laughs> no, no, Michael Tolkien of The Player, most famously. Right. Uh, that's one of my favorite movies. Um, I studied to be a script supervisor, so I just like live and breathe film. So um, I was really excited to watch this because he was involved in it. You know, shout out to him. So I was really interested in the aspect, uh, the filmmaking aspect. Uh, and so I agree that I didn't really need the mobsters. I think maybe, though, that it would have been too inside if they just showed like the filmmaking aspect. So I think maybe they threw in mobsters for people, you know, that were interested in that and didn't really care about the process of filmmaking. I don't know if that's true, but that's maybe my guess. Matthew Good, again, is my favorite thing about this. I was never really a fan of Miles Teller, but he turned me around on this one. I, I really enjoyed his performance. So I would say, yes, watch this. I mean, it is 10 hours, so, you know, you got to be dedicated. But it's a, it's a yes for me. Um, I'm going to give this film seven and a half Charlie Bluthorn's uh, golf clubs out of 10. <laughs> <laughs> Obscure, but, you know. Melina, what are your final thoughts? Within the 10-hour runtime of this show that we have we have called a film over and over again, and I think that is apt. This feels more like 10 <laughs> films than it actually does a series. 
I think that with a proper editing job, this and things that, like certain things that ended up on the cutting room floor that left this feeling a little overstuffed, a little bloated, then you've got, I think, a really interesting, very light and playful take on the making of The Godfather, which I appreciate. That was keeping me going throughout. Uh, like I have made very clear, I really, really disliked the the Godfather light um, parallel story that they decided to put in here. It just felt like such a misfire. It felt really self-indulgent. Like, we can make our own Godfather movie. No, you can't. <laughs> Even Francis Ford Coppola couldn't do it three times. <laughs> um, so I will say, I think that the performances for the most part are really spectacular. I agree with you, Sarah Jane. I think that, uh, I think Mouse Teller is, I think he's just all right. He's, he's a little bland. And I think that that's just because the character is written to be the, the audience avatar. We're seeing everything through his eyes. And that's fine. He's not bad. So I am going to give this, uh, I'm going to give this 7 out of 10 freshly baked cannolis. Yeah, I'm right there with you guys. I think Teller has the uh, unenviable task of trying to hold this all together, and he proves himself able to the task. He is basically playing the straight man to this enormous cast of zany, eccentric characters. For what he needs to do, uh, which is convey a sense of competence, of just this go-getter, this straight shooter, the kind of guy who can sit down with a studio boss or a mob boss and talk them into getting his way, uh, he's very good in that. I think in a show like this, the obvious appeal is going to be those side characters who frankly are better known. Most people know who Francis Ford Coppola is. They don't know what Albert Ruddy looks like. People knew who Charlie Bluthorn was. They know Robert Evans. They know Al Pacino. And so for him to stand out as well as he does in this enormous cast is to his credit. Every time Matthew Good shows up, it's just a much better show. And I wish the show was more like that. Whatever movie Matthew Good is in, I wish the rest of his cast had decided to be in that movie as well. Because it's a lot dishier, a lot funnier, and just a hell of a lot more entertaining. And it would make the fabulism go down easier. Because you would understand that you're kind of in this heightened, altered reality, this sort of myth of Hollywood. Uh, and this show is trying to do it the both ways. It's trying to be the myth-making and the nuts-and-bolts aspect of filmmaking, and it never finds that proper balance, except for when Good is, and Teller are on screen. Like I said, if you haven't seen The Godfather, uh, go watch those. They're, the first two films are essential. This is a fun uh, little bonus if you want to just kind of relive the experience of The Godfather from a different perspective, but it's not essential viewing. I'm going to give this six and a half out of ten offers I could refuse. <laughs> well played. I'm surprised nobody went with that or a horse head. We don't want the ASPCA getting on us. <laughs> Maybe someone put a horse's head in the editor's bed because they sure as hell didn't show up that day. <laughs> 